Good morning, everybody. This is Will Richardson in San Francisco, and I'm really excited to welcome you to the Richardson Financial Podcast today. We're going to have a conversation with Mark Allen and Pat DeCerbo. Let me give you a little bit of a background on both. Mark is one of two people to have actually won six Ironman competitions, and he's also been named in 2012 as ESPN's greatest endurance athlete of all time. He was named world's fittest man uh, in 1997. And he's uh, doing a lot of speaking and coaching today to give people some uh, ways that they can become better competitors and learn the things that he's learned over the years to really overcome adversity and setbacks and, and make the most out of situations. Welcome, Mark. Hey, thanks for having me on here, Will. Yeah, and, and Pat is a financial advisor, one of the top advisors in the country. He's been uh, in the business for about 30 years. He works with uh, businesses primarily in the, in the Northeast, about 450 businesses with revenues from $20 million to $350 million. And we're going to have a conversation today about how you guys know each other and uh, how you guys have really helped each other over the years. Welcome, Pat. Good morning, Will. You know, I thought it'd be fun for you guys to share with all of us uh, how you guys got connected. And Mark, can can you share that with us? I think you guys met at a at a Northwestern Mutual meeting a few years ago. Yeah, it was actually quite a few years ago. Now, Pat might be able to remember the exact year, but I was invited to give a a keynote at uh, one of the conferences that Northwestern was having that uh, probably at least ten years ago. And um, Pat came up to me afterwards, and, and we were talking, and uh, he actually had some really good suggestions about my presentation, not only what he liked, but what I could improve on. And, and I really liked that because, you know, a lot of people will come af up afterwards and they'll tell me all the wonderful stuff, but they, that, you know, it's really like, like my racing, you know, I, I try to evolve my corporate speaking so that I just get better, better at it. Um, and he really helped out, and then since then, there's been a number of opportunities that where I've been able to give some pretty good talks for Northwestern. And how did you guys uh, get to know each other from, from there? I understand there were some other ways you guys have really been able to be helpful to each other beyond uh, the, the speaking arrangements. Well, uh, at, this is Pat speaking. At the end of the Eastern Regional meeting, uh, Mark was kind of by himself up at the front of the room. And uh, I and Jim Meenix from Pennsylvania approached him and asked him if he had plans for lunch. And I think we took him to Sardi's restaurant in Times Square. And during that lunch, we talked about Mark's ambitions as a speaker and where he wanted to go. And it turns out he wanted to be involved with MDRT and of course, at the time, John Cruikshank was the uh, ex officio chairman of MDRT and uh, in the entire world, I guess it would be. And uh, coincidentally, Mark was scheduled to speak at the central regional meeting, say uh, two to four weeks out. And I flew to Chicago to meet him at that meeting. And the two of us went to lunch with John Cruikshank who subsequently arranged for Mark to meet uh, the people in charge of the speaking arrangements at MDRT. And uh, Mark went on, it's my understanding that Mark went on to speak at numerous MDRT functions uh, around the country. So that was kind of a, it was fortuitous in many ways, I think for both of us that we met that day. Well, and, you know, Pat, this reminds me of something you shared with me the other day about, about Mark. And, Mark, I'd love to have you expand on this a little bit about, you know, your, your mindset and, and what, it, what it is about you that um, motivated you to train during the, the hottest part of the day and, and add an extra 10% to your workout routines. You know, my main goal after the first couple of years that I was racing triathlon was really to see if I could become the champion of the Ironman in Hawaii. You know, it's the Super Bowl of, uh, of triathlon. It, it was really what put the sport on the map. It's a complex race. It's 
very complex to win. You're, you're dealing with heat, you're dealing with humidity, you're dealing with the tropical sun, you're dealing with the distance. It's 140.6 total miles, 2.4 mile swim, 112 mile bike ride, and a marathon, 26.2 miles. So it's, you know, it's an eight hour day at, at best. Uh, and the last finishers have to finish uh, under 17 hours. So we all start at 7 a.m. and the last person has to cross the, the finish line in, in Kona on the Big Island by midnight. I had been there a number of years, six to be exact. Uh, I had been able to finish fifth. I'd been able to finish third. I'd finished second twice. I had, but I couldn't win it. You know, I could be in the lead uh, at the beginning of the marathon. I could be in the lead halfway through the marathon. I could be in the lead uh, with four miles to go, but I just couldn't be the first one across the line. And, and so after six races there uh, that were, you know, solid races, but a lot of them devastating in the sense that I would be in the lead and then I would have to walk on the marathon. My body would fall apart. I thought, okay, I've either go, I, I've got to either give up on this dream, which was what my friends, family, the press were saying I should do, or I need to really make some significant changes in how I prepare for it. And, um, you know, I mean, we all probably have to ask ourselves that serious question at some point in our lives, is this dream that I'm going for something that I can truly achieve, or will it be the kind of thing where it doesn't matter how hard I try, I'm never going to get to where I, where I have that vision that I'm going to end up at? And I was really close to just saying, yeah, I should go to the other races where I've proven I can be a champion. I should go to the, the races where I have beaten all these other guys who are coming in first in Kona. But there was that part of me that just said, I haven't had my best race. And so in 1989, I knew that I, I was going to go back to Hawaii again for my seventh try. Um, but there had to be some things that I changed. You know, you know the old saying, if you keep doing what you've been doing, you're going to get more of what you already had. And um, walking on the marathon was not something that I wanted to repeat. So I, I looked at a, a number of things. And, of course, one of them was how I trained. And, and I saw that, um, you know, the Ironman is an eight-hour race. So I started doing some eight-hour training days. I also saw that I was going to be running in tropical heat. And so my weekly long runs that I did, I had been doing them real early in the morning, every Sunday morning when it was cool. And, uh, you know, I looked at my training partners and I said, that is not going to get us ready to race in Kona. So we started doing our long runs on, on Sundays at 11 or 12 or 1 in the afternoon when it was really hot. It, it was an uncomfortable change, clearly, but that was the, the type of work that the Ironman was asking me to do to accomplish the success that I was after. And um, as I did more of those, I realized, hey, my body can take this. I can run in that heat. And then when I went over there that year, I, I ended up winning. That's, that's a whole other story. But, you know, the significant takeaway there is that we can do a lot of work but if it's not the right kind of work, it will never lead us to the goals that we're trying to accomplish. And so, it's, it's you know, I personally have found that I need to really step back periodically and reflect and ask myself, is the work that I'm doing just keeping me busy or is it the work my goal is asking me to do to accomplish the success that I'm trying to achieve? Well, that's a great point, and those are very different things, like you just said. and. You know, there's this, this concept that I've heard you talk about, this idea of take it to completion. Could you expand on that a little bit for us? Well, everybody can come up with a great dream. Um, and quite a few people can come up with a strategy that will get them there. However, uh, as both of you guys know, the, the big bowls rarely follow the script that we have in our minds when we set out on it. For example, um, you know, I thought I could win Hawaii that second, that third, that fourth time out. But each time that I was going there, I was seeing that, you know, I, there was some weakness. There was something that I had, some way that I had not prepared right. And so in, for example, in 1989, I did all that training. I was in the Ironman. I was side by side with a gentleman who was uh, my toughest competitor. 
the other guy who also won six Ironman World Championships, a guy named Dave Scott, and he was he was the best ever from hour six to hour eight in that race, the last part of the race. And, and those the differences that happen between athletes in those final closing hours, uh, they really get magnified. So, you know, you have a good swim or a bad swim, a difference might be five, five minutes, four minutes, three minutes. You have a good bike or a lousy bike ride, the difference might be 15 minutes. But if the difference between a good marathon and walking can be an hour. So I was with Dave Scott side by side uh, we were coming into the closing miles of the marathon. I knew I could win it, but my leg hurt so bad, and I had blisters that it had formed on the arches of my feet, and, and they had already burst. So I had, uh, you know, every time my feet hit the ground, <laughs> I didn't know if I could take another step. And so, you know, a commitment to completion says, you know, this might not be ideal. I hadn't planned on having gigantic blisters on, on the bottom of my feet. I had not planned on being side by side with the best guy in the world to mile 24 of this marathon. But to win the race, I have to take it to completion, meaning no matter how unsightly or how far this is from my ideal strategy, keep going. Take that next step. Stay fully engaged. And that's, that's something that... Um, a lot of people I personally also had a challenge with is staying fully engaged regardless of how the, the moment to moment situation is looking. If it looks impossible to take that next step, you know, I tried to remember what is my dream here? What is my goal? And ultimately my goal was to be able to run every step of that marathon. My goal was to give the best that I had. Maybe Dave Scott would win. Maybe somebody else would win. But if I can give everything I have every moment that is my best, and that is going to be not only enriching for my life, but it will also inspire other people. And so there we were side by side. My legs were killing me, blisters on the bottom of my feet. But I said, no matter what, I'm going to keep going because I can. And that ended up uh, being my first victory. I pulled away with about a mile and a half to go in the marathon uh, and, and was able to fulfill that dream of not only winning, but also having a great race at the Ironman where I ran every step of that marathon, the third leg. And you think one of the, one of the keys to that was that as you were thinking about, you know, it's, this may not be how I envisioned it happening, but I'm just going to, I'm going to make this work no matter what. I mean, do you think it was that, that thought you had with a couple of miles to go and that, that shift in your thinking, do you think that's what gave you the strength to, to keep pushing? Yeah, that living that commitment to completion is is uh, that can be the toughest step. You know, it's, the big goals come with big challenges, and you know, I tried to always remember that that, that there were going to be things that were going to come across my path that that I had knew that I probably probably have to deal with, and that there would be probably even more things coming across my path that would challenge me that I had no idea that I was going to have to manage. Um, once we embark on that journey, then uh, there's, I, to, to back up just a, a moment, I, I wrote a book with Grant Secunda, and the book is titled Fit Soul, Fit Body, Nine Keys to a Healthier, Happier You. And, and two of those keys uh, are, are kind of like the hand in the glove. One of them is no and set request, meaning reflect for a moment and ask yourself, why, why do the things that I'm putting a lot of effort into have meaning to me? They, the meaning can be complex, it can be simple, it doesn't have to mean anything to anybody else. So, you know, why do you show up at the office every day? Why are you putting all of this effort into your work? Have that vision so that when things do get tough, you can remember why you even started embarked on that journey. And then sort of the, the, the match to that is to live what you asked for. That's having an absolute commitment to completion, you know, living what you ask for. And, and that's something that we can all reflect on. You know, we're, we're in the office. Things don't seem to be going the way we hope. But if we can ask ourselves, am I living what I ask for? Am I giving the best that I can in this moment? Maybe what I have to give today is not the best that I'll have on another day. But if I can give the best that I have in this moment, in this challenging situation with this 
client who doesn't like what I'm saying or in a race where I have blisters on the bottom of my feet racing side by side with one of the best ever in our sport, if I'm giving everything I have to that goal, I'm living what I asked for. And, and that's, that's very empowering because you just never know what might happen in the next step. You know, the next <laughs> Dave Scott might falter. Uh, you know, something might happen with your client and all of a sudden what you're saying clicks and makes sense and then you have, you have somebody for life who will support you and be there with you. Well, that's, that's a great point. And, you know, Pat, I'm curious. Um, I know you've had some thought around this too. I mean, what does that idea of take it to completion mean for you? Well, um, I confess I don't always take it to completion, but as Mark was speaking about what it means to him, I got to thinking that I do a lot more today in my work than I ever did in sports. And one of the reasons why I love what I do so much is because I look at it kind of like a sport and I feel like I'm getting better and better at it every day and I've got a second chance. I kind of feel like I wasted a lot of natural ability by not seeing what I had in me in sports. But in selling life insurance, I, I can really see what's inside me and go deeper and deeper. So what I like to do is set a goal Typically, it has to do with front-end activity, the number of dials that I'll make. And for me, that's 25 dials to business owners doing $20 million to $350 million a year in sales in various types of industries. And some days I do 15, and some days I do 40. But uh, I really feel like more than ever right now that I am taking it to completion. You know, some days I'm really grumpy, and in the old days I would quit at 2.30 and go home on a Wednesday or go out with my friends to a late lunch, that kind of thing, and I don't do that anymore. Um, these days I work a full day. You know, I might cut it short at 4 to go for a run, but that's better than going for a late lunch kind of thing. And uh, I, I like the fact that it's hard. It's very interesting to me it's it's I totally changed my perspective like I used to feel resentment at having to do the work because I looked at myself like I thought I should be uh, James Bond or Henry Kissinger or somebody like that and when I was really new in the business like uh, people should just buy from me because I'm this somebody but I'm nobody and uh, once I accepted that I was nobody, and I'm just a, just like everybody else, um, I came to appreciate the work a lot more. And uh, whenever I get in trouble, it's with my ego. And so taking it to completion has is, is a lifelong project for me. It's really always looking in the mirror and asking myself, you know, why am I doing this? Can I do better? How can I do better? And uh, it's not that I don't love doing planning, by the way, and getting to know people because I work very hard at the planning part and the personal relationship. But I feel like if my mind is fit, like Mark and Brant talk about in the book, um, then I'll be better in my work. I'll be better for everybody else. I'll be better for my family, for my fellow man. And to me, my take it to completion, it's much bigger than just selling insurance, but um, I think fundamentally, professionally, I get a lot of, I'm never going to do an eight-hour Ironman, okay? But I, I might be able to do the equivalent of that in life insurance selling. You know, and maybe not. Maybe I mean, I, I'm never going to be the greatest life insurance person on the planet, but I, I could be one of the best maybe at Northwestern. And, you know, my, my dream would be to be number one at Northwestern, even just one time. That would be great. And uh, I believe I have it in me, but I can't control that. All I can control, like Mark says, is what I can do. And if someone else has a better year than me, someone else has a better year than me but I'm going to do everything I can to have the year that I know I can have. 
you know, if I could, if I could take you back on that, Pat, when it, I won six Ironman championships in Hawaii in six starts, um, and one of the, one of the focal points that I had each year was to go back, trying to be very humble and never feeling like I had that race figured out and that I was just automatically better than everybody else. I, I knew what it took to win, but I knew that each year was going to be different at the same time. In, in each of those six championships, I was challenged by a different athlete who was contending for that title. It wasn't like I had the same guy who was knocking at the door and all I had to do was, was overcome whatever weakness that person might have and exploit it. It was a very different dynamic each year. So, you know, I think that's a, a great um, lesson that I learned was that no matter how much I've learned, I still had to rediscover how to get across that finish line in first place in each of those victories. It wasn't automatic. It didn't matter how much training I'd done, how much experience I had, I still had to go out there and do the work on the day. And that's, that's having that commitment to completion, living what I asked for, was never assuming that I had it all figured out. But through that, each year I also learned something. And, and that's, for me, that was the real gold in accomplishing something was that there was always a lesson. I, you know, I coach a lot of people now at markallencoaching.com for triathlon. And one of the things I tell my clients is that the only bad race is one that you don't learn something from. And it, so, you know, whether your finish was a poor finish, it wasn't the time you'd hoped, or even if it was better than you'd hoped, it's a bad race if you don't step back and reflect and ask yourself, what did I learn from that experience? And it's those lessons that we learn that are the true gold. You're one of the best at what you do, Pat, but I'm sure each year or each day you're thinking, what did I learn today? How can I use that to better myself, better what I bring to my to my work and my profession? Well, and, you know, Mark, that... I, so I was just, I'd love to have you guys both reflect on a question, Mark. I know you, you asked yourself after, and you described a little bit that sixth Ironman where you came up a little short, and then the changes that you made so that you could do what do some extra things to, to, um, to take it to completion. And, and I remember you said you asked yourself this question, and, and I'd love to hear both of you guys with the perspective of asking yourself the question, what is it about me that holds me back, and what journey that led you on, Mark? Well, I, that, that question came up after I had been to my first six Ironmans in Hawaii and had zero victories. And so I, as I started preparing for my seventh one in 1989, that was, you know, I, I had reflected and said, okay, you know, my friends, my family, they're saying, don't go back there. You've gone there six years. There's something about the race that's just not, not right for you. Maybe it's the heat, the wind, the humidity, the length of the race, whatever it is. And I, I rely on those people that are close to me to tell me the things about myself that I'm, I'm not willing to see. You know, we all have those close friends who will, they'll give us the truth about ourselves. But as I reflected, I thought, you know what, I, I haven't had my best race, and I just want to go back there and see if I can just have my best race, run every step of that marathon. But again, as I said, I needed to change some things. And if things aren't working out the way we hope, there really are only two kinds of changes that we can make. One of them is to become more skilled at our craft, you know, change the way we do our work. The second is to ask ourselves, as you, as you just mentioned, Will, what is it about me that's holding me back from the success that I'm after? And so, you know, the, the first part, improving my craft, meant that I had to just get better at swimming, cycling, and running. Of, you know, of course, those are probably not skills that would help somebody out in the financial services industry. That's a different skill set. But clearly, if we can get better at our industry skills, we will probably have better results at the end of the year. So I, I changed significant things about my training. One of them, like you, you mentioned, I, I did my long runs in the heat so that I could, I was ready to take the heat of, of Hawaii. I did my long bike rides in, in as windy of, windy of conditions as I possibly could because it's very windy at the Ironman in Hawaii. But I also knew that I had to ask myself, what is it about me that's holding me back from the success that I'm after? And that, 
that might require changing some fundamental hardwiring, hardwiring about how we approach challenge, how we deal with impossible situations. Where do we find motivation when it is getting tougher and tougher to take that next step toward completion? And so I just reflected on the Ironman. You know, I've been there six years, zero wins, and I realized I was afraid of that race. I mean, I'll admit it. I was afraid of the distance. It's a long day. I was afraid of the wind on the bike. I was afraid of the heat on the marathon, and I was afraid of my toughest competitor, Dave Scott. He was an incredible athlete who never, ever gave up. And I knew that, you know, he was going to have his best day when I got to Kona, so I had to be prepared to beat him on his best day. And we all have things that intimidate us about uh, our journey that we're on. There's things that might come up where we do have fear. But um, as Brant Secunda, who we brought our book together, mentioned to me many times, he said, Still be fearless in the face of your fears, meaning you can have fear, but take that step into it and then go beyond it, and that's very empowering. Maybe there's a situation that um, I know I need to do to deal with if I'm going to have the success that I am after. That's being fearless in the face of our fears. You take that step. You make that call that might be difficult. You... Um, you stay that extra hour when it's important, when there is an opportunity in front of you. And that's really what Iron Man represented. It was just an opportunity, a chance, but I had to take those steps. I had to go there. And even though I was intimidated by the intensity that I would have to face, get to that start line anyway. And when the gun goes off, no matter how impossible it looks, take that next step anyway. Stay fully engaged. Give it what I had. You know, pass disengaged by going to lunch early, you know, taking the day off and getting tough. And then you realize that's not living what I asked for. That's not staying fully engaged. That's not, um, that was something that was holding him back. And so he changed that pattern. For me, it meant when it got tough, don't try to come up with an excuse why you can back off. Don't try to come up with a reason that you would be able to tell everybody later why you just quit. You know, if we quit, there is no chance of achieving the dreams that we are after. Even if we stick with it, if we aren't giving everything we have, there is no chance of achieving those big dreams. But if we stay with it, if we move into that fear and say, okay, I don't care, I'm just going to keep going anyway and see what happens, then all of a sudden we are fully engaged, we are free to give the best that we have, and even if the end of the day doesn't look the same as we'd hoped, at least we know that we did what was totally and completely possible. That's 100% of our potential right there. And that is a great experience and feeling. Well, that's, that's really powerful. And, you know, I'm, I'm reminded of, of something that, that I've heard you talk about. And you mentioned Dave Scott and the rivalry you guys had. And I heard a talk you gave one time where you mentioned, um, something that you said to him at the beginning of that seventh race. Could you, could you share with us what you said to him before that race got started? <laughs> well, you know, like I said, he's, he was a tough competitor, probably my toughest out there because he won six times. He was winning in all those early years when I was not winning. And I had never really felt like I could beat him on his best day. You know, I was hoping that he was going to have a bad day, that he was going to fall apart. And that was the only way I could see winning until 1989 when I realized he's never going to have a bad day in Hawaii. He's going to have his best day of the year there. And so I had to figure out how I was going to manage that within myself and just say, hey, okay, that's what I have to deal with. Let's go for it. And it was five minutes to seven beginning of the day, we were all floating in, in Kailua Bay waiting for the starting cannon to sound the beginning of a day that really nobody first to last fully knows what it's going to take to get to that finish line. And I spotted Dave Scott warming up just kind of off to the side in the, in the water there. So I sort of just backstroked over toward him, pretending like I didn't even see him. And then when I got right up next to him, I turned, turned over and I go, oh, hey, Dave. 
have a great race. And, you know, I, I really meant it. It's like, have your best day because that, will, that is what will inspire me to go beyond my ordinary limits and go into that extraordinary level of performance. Kind of, kind of like Pat said, he said now he relishes the fact that it's tough, that it's challenging, because that's what helps us rise up to a new level within ourselves and put out something that maybe we had never done before. And so instead of being in competition with Dave Scott that day, I, I realized that we were in cooperation together. Each of us was going to have our best day, and through that, something magic might happen. And indeed it did. At the end of the day, Dave Scott, he finished in second place. He finished 58 seconds behind me, which was a very, very, very small margin on such a long day. He broke his previous world's record by almost 18 minutes. I did my best time that day by almost 30 minutes. Wow. That's a huge drop in a world's record time. Third place was over three miles behind us. <laughs> the, marathon, the marathon that I did that day was two hours, 40 minutes, and four seconds. That, was the, that marathon split stood as the fastest marathon in Hawaii until last year. It took 27 years for somebody to run faster than me in the marathon, and they only did it by about 15 seconds. So you, oh. you just never know what's going to happen when you become uh, when you're when you're in cooperation with those difficult challenges that you have to face as opposed to feeling like you're in competition with them feeling like I wish this was just easier <laughs> I mean nobody needs to make their life harder on purpose uh, life presents itself with enough hard things but if we can just feel like we're in cooperation with those difficult challenges then the most amazing things can happen Pat, how do you think about that? You know, we've talked about, you know, some things uh, that it seems really similar to, to what Mark just mentioned in terms of, you know, Pat, if you're going to be the number one person, do you think about how, whether you're number one or number two, you're, you're, you're helping everybody get a better result than they would have otherwise, meaning the, the top, you know, two or three people? No, I don't think they're competing against me, and I'm not competing against them so much. I mean, I want to win, but I can't affect the outcome. All I can affect is the input. In other words, I, I can't make people buy insurance. I can't make them buy the amount I want them to buy. All I can control is me. That's my sphere of influence. And... Uh, I can call the people I want to call. I can present them with information that can help them to help themselves and their families and their businesses. I cannot make them buy. I can't do it for them. And when I'm at my best, I give people information and let them make informed decisions. When I'm at my worst, I try to manipulate them. And you asked what holds me back and I was reflecting as Mark was talking about his good friends that will tell him that he doesn't have any clothes on if he's the emperor. Um, you know, not everyone tells me, right? People treat me different uh, because I've been successful. But one of my clients, I lost the sale. It was a great referral from one of my clients to someone else. And I was telling him about how I lost the sale in competition. And he listened and at the end he said, are you done? And I said, yeah, I'm done. And he said, so why do you think you lost the sale? And I said, well, their price was lower. And he said, that's not why you lost the sale. And I said, why, why did I lose it? And I don't know if he spoke to them or if he just knew. He said, you lost the sale because of your personality. And I was like, what do you mean? And he said, you can't be arrogant and manipulative and try to sell stuff to someone like me the way that you sometimes do. When I'm ready to buy something, I'll buy it. And when I'm not ready, I won't buy it. And I negotiate for a living. There's no way some punk kid, I think I was 28 at the time, <laughs> there's no way some punk kid's gonna try to tell me what to do. He said, you're great at what you do. 
you're superb, but you're not going to man manipulate me or anyone like me. So the best thing that you can do is just let us buy when we're ready to buy. And when we don't want to buy, we'll tell you, and you can come back another time. And that was really humbling. But I was ready to hear that. And it was even at age 28, I knew, you know, ego is a problem for me. And, and you know, I would sit in my office and think about that. Saturday and Sunday mornings, I'll go to the office. It's a mile away, and I'll just sit there for an hour and think about, you know, I'll dream about the future. How can I be better? And then I bring it back to, to today. And so uh, you and I have talked about the analogy of Sisyphus pushing the rock up the hill. And, you know, I, I, I love the idea of pushing the rock up the hill and having it be hard every day. Because if I didn't have to push a rock up the hill every day, I wouldn't have anything to do. And the day that I push that rock to the top of the hill, I'm going to be done. And for me, that's a sad day. You know, I don't know if I'll be 80 or 85 or 90 or 95 years old. But, uh, you know, a lot of people feel like, you know, if, if I could just get to a certain level, then I'd truly be happy and then I could go do nothing. And to me, that would be the worst thing ever because the day I start to do nothing is the day that I die. I mean, I just, or at least part of me dies. Like, I, I have no interest in doing nothing. I always want to be doing something. And it, it doesn't necessarily mean I'll be selling insurance, but I think that's what I'll do. I don't think I'm going to be Mother Teresa in the streets of Calcutta, even though I think she's more noble than I am. Um, I'm just not going to do that. I'll give money to Mother Teresa, um, but I want to do my work. And I, I just, I love the fact that it's hard now. And I spent a lot of my time back to personality. I had a really moving experience about a year ago when I was roundly criticized by someone I'm close to. And the criticism wasn't wrong. It was a little harsh, but when they were done, I said, you know, you're right. I do have a lot of shortcomings, but I'm happy anyway. And uh, I'm trying to get better. You know, they, friends of mine say, seek progress, not perfection. And um, I'm not perfect by any means, but I'm willing to try to get better. In the old days, I would deny my shortcomings. I would try and explain them away and say, blame the other person or my environment or whatever, things outside myself. And now I don't. I accept it. And I accept that I'm never going to be perfect. And it's taken the burden of trying to be perfect off of me. It was a huge relief when I let myself be imperfect. And I think the possibilities when my mind is in that, when I'm in that frame of mind, the possibilities for me, both personally, professionally, in every way, as an athlete even, are just limitless. You know, a lot of people ask me, what motivated you to go back and, and win Ironman all of those times that you did? I mean, six years and, and, and six starts, six victories. You know, what motivated you? What inspired you? What fired you up? What kept you going all those years? Because, you know, for most people, you win one, one of those, that's, that's retirement. You know, there's, <laughs> you hit the pinnacle. And I, I have always answered the same. I said, the reason that I went back wasn't to win more championships. The reason that I was going back each of those years was because I felt like there was another level of who I am as a person that I could bring into the race, that I could... I could perfect my skill and bring more of who I was into the performance, and that was important to me. It wasn't about winning. It was about taking the craft that I was doing and bringing in a, a, a new level to it each year. And when I got to my final Ironman in 1995, I knew going into it that I, I had pulled everything out of my bag of tricks that I had wanted to try become better as, as an athlete, better as a person, and bring more into the race. And so regardless of how it turned out, I knew that there was nothing more that I could bring to it. And uh, so going into the race in 1995, 
you know, I was 37 years old. I, which at that time nobody had ever won the race as a 37 year old. The, the next oldest champion was 35, so I was two years beyond what anything anybody else had done before. I was trying to win six Ironman championships and six starts. Not even Dave Scott did that. He had uh, a number of losses in between his various wins. When I came off the bike that year, I ended up being 13 and a half minutes behind the leader, and nobody had ever closed that big of a gap to become the champion. So here I had these three levels of impossibility facing me as I started out on the marathon that year. But again, my, my goal, even though, of course, I wanted to win, my goal was to bring another level of who I was into what was happening in the dynamics that day. And, and Iron Man is so complex that you just never know what's going to happen. And, you know, ironically, uh, when I when I got to the island that year, um, a couple days before the race, I went to a spot that I like to go to that's right by the ocean and, and reflect and just kind of have my, my final talk with the island. And I said, just let me have one last great race here. And so, you know... <laughs> In my ideal mind, I, I figured, well, let's see, a great race means that, you know, I'll take the lead early and I'll be a, I'll just, it'll be like a parade lap. You know, I won't be challenged. But when I started the marathon, I had the biggest challenge of my career in front of me. I, 13 and a half minute lead meant that if I was going to win, I had to make up 30 seconds a mile, every single mile of that marathon to catch the leader. And the leader was a, a guy who was, uh, his name is Thomas Hellriegel. He was a 24-year-old German soldier, tough as nails. And, you know, when I started the marathon, I thought, I'm trying to beat a guy who's 13 years younger than me. You know, is this what I signed up for? <laughs> <laughs> but I realized, you know, the great race doesn't mean that it's nice and tidy. It, it means that maybe it's the most impossible-looking uh performance you have to pull out of yourself and that's indeed what happened you know I was able to make it past those thousands of times when I truly did feel like I don't think I can keep going it's not worth it you know we all have those cynical things those thoughts that can come into our mind when when things aren't going the way we'd hoped or the situation isn't looking as ideal as we had planned and you know in each one of those I just kept having to bring myself back to, you know, take it to, take it to completion, meaning take that next step. Find, maybe, maybe you're not going to win. Who cares? What's your reason for continuing? And, you know, I, I was having these conversations with myself out there. And, you know, Brant, one of the things he said before I, I left, he said, no matter how impossible it looks, take that next step because you just never know what will happen in the one beyond it. Meaning, no matter how difficult something looks, keep going because it can turn around at a moment's notice. And so I, I just kept having to bring myself back to that. Yeah, take that next step. Stay fully engaged. Get your mind to be quiet so that you don't have to, you're not worried about the outcome. You're just bringing everything into the journey that you can. And, you know, I did slowly start to make up time on Thomas. And I moved from fifth to fourth to third, eventually into second place at about the half marathon point. With eight miles to go, I was told that he was four minutes ahead of me. So I was, you know, I was making up my 30 seconds a mile, but I was still only on pace to catch him at the finish line. And, of course, that's not a good place to catch a guy who's 13 years younger than you <laughs> and you were trying to sprint for a world championship. And uh, so I, again, had to refocus because... In those moments, the only thing that we can change is are the thoughts that we're telling ourselves. So if I'm sitting there, I get the time split, I hear I'm four minutes behind it with eight miles to go, you know, my mind starts to get cynical again, like, ah, hell, Regal, he's, he's younger, there's no way I can win this thing, I need something else, but I can't find it. Finally, I uttered those two very critical words that can help any of us out of those tough situations. I just said, shut up, <laughs> you know, just be quiet. And it took a moment. And finally, I, I was able to just kind of take that breath. You know, regrouping is not giving up. You know, we may need to sort of 
step back for just one second or one moment or five minutes or maybe a week or, or, or a month from almost strangling the potential that's in front of us, you know, and I did that. I took that breath and just said, okay. And then the answer came. Something just said, give it 100% of what you have to give. And I, you know, my cynical mind started going, I am. My, my, my legs are killing me. I'm starting to get blisters on my feet. And then I realized, yeah, I was, I was holding back just a little bit. You know, I was just waiting for some guarantee that said, if I give everything I have, I will, I will come out at the top of this day. And those type of guarantees do not exist in the real world. You know, the real world is just begging us to, to give our best regardless of how it might turn out at the end. And so I just drew all my focus away from Thomas L. Regal, that, that thing that I couldn't control, like Pat said, he can't control whether somebody's going to buy or not. He can just give everything that he has and then see how it turns out. And, and I just said, hey, Big Island, help me here. I'm going to give everything I have, but I need something extra. I'm going to give everything, even if I come in an inch behind Hell Regal, a second behind him, even if I completely blow up in these last eight miles. The race began to switch because I, was, I had made that big commitment to completion, saying I will give everything I have. I don't care how it turns out. I really don't care. The next mile I made up about 40 seconds on Thomas. The one after that, I made up a little over 50. The mile after that, I made up a minute and 15 seconds on the guy who'd been leading the race for over six hours now. Finally, at mile 23, I came up behind him and then made the final pass of my Ironman career and went on to win that sixth and final title. And Thomas came in second. He was about two and a half minutes behind me at the end, which sounds like a big gap, but if you look at it as a percent, of the total amount of time that we raced each other that day, the difference in our times was less than one half of one percent, one percent, which is a very, very small difference on a very long day. But it was a significant difference, clearly for me, winning that sixth title. And again, it wasn't, it wasn't about winning. It was about bringing the best that I could. And I knew that year that that was the best I could ever do at the Ironman in Hawaii. Well, how, how did you, my understanding is there was a, a little bit of a journey you went on to learn how to quiet your mind in that way that you just described. Could you tell us a little bit about, about that? Yeah, I, I, you know, I've, I've referred to Branch Fikunda a number of times. He's a gentleman that I met in 19, actually I made a connection with him in 1989, just before the Ironman. And he's, a shaman, a healer in the, in, in the Huichol Indian tradition from Mexico. The Huichol Indians are, are very simple people. They're very happy. They have no, almost no material goods, but, you know, they have community. They have family. They, their tradition, has, it's very rich, and it's remained intact for thousands of years. They, they do ceremonies to honor the season. One of their, their key tenets is just connecting with nature to empower yourself as, as a human being and to feel good and be healthy. And, you know, science is proving all of the things that the Weichol Indians have said for thousands of years. They say, you know, when, when we're in nature, that's how we keep our bodies balanced. That's how we keep our minds clear and how we can be quiet and gain insight to the big questions that we have about life. You know, I mean, very simple stuff like, you know, on, a, on the level of exercise, research has been showing that you can do the same exercise inside or outside. If you do it outdoors, the reduction in stress hormones is greater. The, the impact of that reduction lasts longer than if you do it inside. You know, the human beings are just hardwired to feel good when we're, at, when we're outdoors. And, and we all know this. You know, you, you're, you're driving along and, and you see this incredible mountain peak or that you see the, the roaring ocean in the winter or you you're, you sit by an amazing uh, river and you have that feeling like wow look at that you know and in that moment where you, you say wow look at that you forget that you have problems you forget about your credit card debt or, or whatever is bothering you you just feel good so anyway I would go on retreat with Brant 
a couple times a year to places that were very beautiful. You know, the Inside Passage in Alaska, uh, Mount Shasta here in, in California, just a lot of beautiful places in nature, and just immerse myself in learning that tradition and, and doing the practices that indeed help you help me to quiet my mind, to just feel good about life, to just be happy and laugh. And as crazy as it sounds, you know, we, we actually, it, we, we need to practice feeling good to just feeling peaceful, to being quiet so that we can gain that insight into what is important for us to do in life. You know, Pat mentioned that he would he would go to the office on the weekend and just reflect and dream, and that's that's something that I try to do every day to just get outside, go for a walk, uh, go go down to the ocean. I live two blocks from the ocean here in Santa Cruz. I surf every day, so I go out there and, and I'll just sit and, and just think about things and reflect. And you know, they're also showing that the problem solving part of our brain is at peak when we're daydreaming. It's not when we're trying to be logical and actually work on a on, on a something that we're trying to find the answer to it's when we're just kind of daydreaming that's when problem solving part of our brain uh is working at its its maximum and so i would go on retreat with brant and just get better at finding that champion's mindset which is actually a quiet place a lot of people say well you know i need to have my my cues that I tell myself in the race that will bring me back to kind of my my power spot within myself. And, you know, I can, I can attest, it's very hard to remember those things when you're in the middle of competition. And even if you can remember, remember them, you probably won't believe them. You know, I feel strong and smooth. Well, no, I don't. I, I feel like I'm ready to fall apart here. <laughs> and so the most powerful place is if you can just be quiet. Because as an athlete, if I could be quiet, then it didn't matter... If I felt lousy, it wouldn't slow me down, and I didn't need to feel good to keep giving everything that I had. And that was something that was very critical in that final Ironman because, you know, at 37, I couldn't do the same training that the young guys were doing 10 to 15 years younger than me. I had to cut back on my training from what I'd done in previous years because my body just couldn't absorb that as high of a volume. But by working with Brandt, getting myself to be able to get back to that quiet place in a breath, in a second, then I didn't have to manage, spend too much time out there managing myself. You know, every moment that an athlete is out there and they're doubting themselves, they're, they're trying to avoid a situation that they fear or they're, you know, they're in a, a state where they're worried about another athlete who just pulled away as opposed to giving everything they have, then they're not working at their peak potential. And so, you know, the younger guy, maybe it would take him five minutes to get back to that quiet place. I would do it in an instant. I kept having to bring myself back to that, but I would do it quicker. And so I spent more of my day working at peak capacity than all of the younger guys. And so, you know, it's, it's simple. It's very powerful, too. It's, you know, we can all do it if we practice it. And that's, what, that's one of the things that I was doing with Brant in those retreats. I would take seven or eight days in the middle of the summer when all the young guys were ramping up their training for Kona, I wouldn't swim, I wouldn't bike, and I wouldn't run, but I worked on that internal space, that internal place that we all have that's really accessing our, our true potential, our ability to give everything we have, regardless of, of how the outcome might be. And when we do that, there's a real freedom in that, knowing that you're giving everything that you have. Well, there's there's a lot Amen. of. I was just going to say, you know, there's there's so many great takeaways in that. And I know there is a couple of topics as we get ready to wrap up. And Mark, I know that you actually have inspired Pat um, to become an Ironman uh, competitor and. Pat, I'd love to hear you describe what changes have occurred, you know, in terms of your own fitness and in your business life after you guys had the conversation where, Mark, I think you said something to Pat like, anybody can do an Ironman if they, if they decide they want to. Well, um, this all stems from, uh, I, I was uh, 
participant on the annual meeting planning committee that Mark, you'll no doubt remember the last speech you gave at Northwestern, which I think was, oh, yeah. was it about 10 years ago? You remember the year? I don't remember the year, not quite that long, but yeah, I'll never forget that speech. <laughs> but but uh, we, we went out to dinner the night before and uh, I ordered a bottle of wine. We're talking about exercise and diet and I looked at Mark and said, do you, you know, do you think I could do an Ironman? And he said, without missing a beat, anybody can do an Ironman. You just have to do the work. And I thought, like, it was so unbelievable to me that I could do it at that point. I was overweight. I was eating badly. I was drinking too much red wine. And something clicked in my brain there. And not long after, a friend of mine sent me an email and said, you know, why don't you get off the couch and do a half Ironman with me? And, uh, you know, I just little by little started to change my habits. You know, just having known Mark, I mean, I, I, I was getting choked up. I had to turn off the, the volume on my phone just listening to the Hellregal story again, even though I've heard it 50 times. Like, it, there's something about that that I want. And I'm never going to get it on the field of play, right? I'm never going to win an Ironman. But I can get that peace of mind, or it's more than peace of mind. It's almost like it's, it's bigger than that. Serenity. Um, I can get that by just giving it my all and not caring about the outcome. And to tell you the truth, I was always afraid to do that because I wasn't, I wanted to be convinced of the payoff, just like Mark said, you know, the nine-year-old boy in my head says, you know, okay, you know, I'll do the work, but I have to get the prize. And there are no guarantees, as Mark points out. And today I'm putting the pedal to the metal in every way. You know, I got up today and got nothing to do because of this storm. And I ran seven miles. I got up at four in the morning. I had nothing to do. So I went and ran seven miles. And I'm going to do another workout this afternoon. And I just, like, I used to resent the workouts. I used to resent the work. And I don't anymore. I just want to go for it. And I don't know how long I'll be able to do it for, you know, full throttle. But I feel really good. Eat right. And I attribute a lot of that to, you know, that dinner that Mark and I had and, him saying anybody can do it they just have to do the work and i used to use um you know my credentials and different positioning and stuff like that professionally more as a like a, a defensive tool and you know position myself so that i kind of couldn't lose and my mindset has totally changed like now i just want to do the best i can and, and try to win. And I, I, I just never thought I deserved to win, to tell you the truth, whether it's to complete a half Ironman or now I'm doing Ironmans, thankfully, um, or to be really, really successful. I mean, it's always successful, but I really never went for it. And in my life now, I'm totally going for it. And I've learned more from reading Mark's books and our conversations than probably anyone. And I read a lot, <laughs> but um, I'm having a lot of fun. I've never had more fun. And, uh, and I, I really appreciate the relationship that we have. Well, and you know, as, as we wrap up, Mark, I know there's, there's going to be a lot of our listeners that are going to want to learn more about, about your, your speaking, your writing, uh, the, the coaching you're doing. So can you, can you share with us a little bit about uh, what you're up to and how, uh, how people can get more information about it? Yeah, sure. Thanks, Will. Um, I have excuse me, online coaching at markallencoaching.com, and it, it, uh, in there I'm helping people get ready for a triathlon specifically. But if you go to shamanism.com, you'll see that Grant and I have have a workshop coming up in April called Consulted Bodies. It will be at the Grappolo Institute in Massachusetts, and it's a weekend where you get to really get a taste of the nine keys that we talk about in our book. Uh, 
my book that broke the body on keys to healthier happier you that i wrote with Brant Secunda. we won won a book award uh, for that book and then also the art of competition another book that i have it's 90 quotes that i've paired with photos from nature that give a broader concept of what competition is how, how do you overcome challenge how do you achieve personal excellence and that's you can get that through amazon um Feel free to email me if any of you have any questions or, or comments or thoughts. I'm always here to help people out. You know, I I loved the years that I raced, and now I love the years. I've loved the years since then because I get to tell these stories and hopefully help other people go go to a, a not necessarily a better place, not necessarily a, a higher achievement place, but a better place within themselves. You know, I. Like I said, the only bad race is one that you don't learn from. And it's just a, a great journey for me to be able to kind of complete that circle of reflecting on what I've done, what I did in sport for many years now. And I'm still learning about what it took for me to win the Ironman six times, what, what it takes to kind of win the Ironman of life and to really fulfill yourself as a person. Well, it's been a lot of great takeaways and wisdom and mindsets that you've that you've shared with us today. And uh, thanks for for being on the program with us today, Mark, and sharing everything. And Pat, thank you for being on here with us again. This has been a really productive conversation that I know is going to be really helpful to all of our listeners. And as we thanks, thanks well, well, Pat. Yeah, and if anybody has Sorry. any questions, Bye, Mark. don't hesitate to give us a call at 415-733-6579.